great to be here, as usual. Um, so this is my friend, Rahil Khan. He's visiting from Georgia today. And um, we have such a special story. Rahil happens to be in San Diego, and I called and said, hey, what do you think about if, if we have Rahil share his testimony? So I'm just going to kind of set it up. A little over a year ago, I started an online Bible study with a couple of friends, and the idea was to have this be an evangelistic thing where we invite people who are far from God and just look at the Bible together and talk about it and ask questions. So several weeks in, a friend of mine, mutual friend of ours, Leslie, just had a thought from the Lord. Hey, you know, uh, I think I should reach out to Rock Hill. They had gone to high school together, but they hadn't seen each other in many, many years. She didn't have his contact information. So she found him online and gave him a call. And uh, it has been the joy of my life to watch God work in his life. So I'm really excited to have him. But he'll share for a few minutes, introduce yourself. How did you meet God? What has he done? And I'll just ask you a few questions. Why don't you come over here? Yeah, so I'll try to keep it brief because it seems like a lot to sort of um, unpack in a short time. Um, I grew up in a uh, Muslim family, a, a devout Muslim family, uh, to Pakistani uh, parents. So I practiced Islam for the majority of my life. Um, and as I got older and as I uh, became more involved in sort of a, uh, I guess you'd say, a, a, a culture that is that was introduced to me in college and and sort of drifted away, drifted away, started drifting away from Islam. I um, I began sort of questioning uh, faith and religion, and I sort of lived in a sort of agnostic um, um, sort of state for, for, for a few years. Um, I ended up entering really dark episodes of my life uh, and had um, some emotional mental struggles throughout the years. I I always think that I I was seeking something. I just did not arrive there, or um, or what it, what it meant to really um, have an understanding of 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 life, or, or meaning, or or morality, or things that that were important features. I think of of, of my walk in life, and so. I think I really just gave up at a certain point. I think I um, I really needed what happened in my life at the point that it happened in my life and what led me to um, to encounter um, Stephanie and Leslie, who was a friend who who sort of uh, kind of came back in my life after eight or nine years of, of, of us not communicating. Um, and so what ended up happening is that I was in a, a really dark place and and really, my will to sort of go on was, was diminishing at, at rapid uh, pace. Um, I had just a lot of factors, negative things that, um, that I experienced that sort of contributed to that. But in a very short amount of time, I would say a few weeks, I started experiencing something I hadn't experienced before. And this was in a in a process of being open to actually listening to somebody telling me about God or about Jesus, which was Leslie. I started my Bible study for the first time in my life with um, Stephanie and Leslie and had really read scripture. I knew one verse in scripture because of a a person I I, I knew who left Islam during my uh, sort of research on on people leaving Islam. I came across Bill uh, Qureshi, who mentioned it, uh, Matthew 5, 4, uh, blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. And it was when he was in despair and looking for something to sort of speak to him. So it was very special to me when the first time I met with Seth and Leslie, that, that verse came up immediately in our first session. Wow. And, oh, all right. Yeah. So uh, I... I at the time, I wasn't, I wasn't a Christian, I wasn't a believer, I just thought that was a really um, big coincidence in my mind that uh, the only verse I was aware of was the one that was my, my introduction to 
to a, a, a community of believers. Um, and, and then other things uh, continue to happen from that point um, in, in, in the form of dreams. I had a dream where Christ appeared to me um, on the cross. That was a unexplainable phenomenon as far as um, logic. So I didn't think it was really a choice at that point. It was more um, it was more of just you know, an acceptance of something that I didn't know. And so the questions that I'm asking in a, in a way were were confirmed in, in a sense of what what I was not accepting about Jesus. Um, as a Muslim, which was the crucifixion and um, in the in the divinity of Christ. So um, from that point, I I, I, I I gave my life to Christ and, and, and decided that this is um, not an explainable um, set of events, other than there there is a truth that I became aware of and. Um, at 30, 34 years old, that I did not really uh, earn or deserve or or really really strive in a committed way towards. So I, I feel very blessed and grateful for um, for that um, um, for that placement of people in my life and, and the significance that it has um, that has resulted in. And so, My experience of being a Pakistani American Muslim, I never encountered a single individual, let alone multiple individuals, who are um, seeking to extend the love of Christ to uh, to unreached areas and and really devoting their efforts towards um, learning about uh, my culture, my people. Um, the language Urdu. Um, Stephanie sent out a message of some kind. I'm not sure what um, forum it was. I think it was a group. But uh, very shortly after that, I had a gentleman named Tyler reach out to me and tell me that he would like to disciple me. And him and his wife are planning to go to Pakistan and had been praying for someone who knew the language and the culture and the um, and the um, the process would, would be aided by uh, ex-Muslim Christian and I perceived that as sort of a calling towards joining them on their mission wow. achieving that 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 aim and so I I, I, I immediately um, was on board with what they were telling me. I didn't know about these terms like divine appointments or or God calling people towards certain areas. But I met Americans, white, um, Caucasian Americans who were learning Urdu and actually quite good at it, and they they. Um, they were expressing that they had been called as well to these people in these areas that, for me, it was just my upbringing. It's, you know, I grew up bilingual uh, uh, and, um, re- you know, reading Quranic Arabic and all that, but to meet people who, not just one, but several people in a very short amount of time, all of whom are, are, in this in this process of, of discipling in, in Pakistan and, and uh, similar areas was very um, very telling and, and, and significant for me as far as what I what I reasoned was what the Holy Spirit was 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 driving me towards.
night and day difference. I, I would agree. Yeah. 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 Right. <laughs> Yeah, so the, the, the person, I asked the Lord for someone to minister to him. I'm, we're two married gals in San Diego, and Raquel lives in Georgia. And so we prayed, Lord, raise up just the right person. I put out a message on Facebook. I think within the hour, someone messaged me back and he said, yes, I would like to uh, disciple Raquel. I had no idea he was planning to move to Pakistan to minister to Oregon speaking people. Uh, but that was a match made in heaven. Yes. And they paid off. Rahil got baptized. Leslie and I got to watch it online. And uh, it's just fantastic. And um, could you just bless him and pray for Thank you. 
They won't know what to do with because you have a testimony now. So we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of our testimony. You have a testimony. And then Mr. Pope says, and we lay down our lives. So there's a laying down of your lives that are in darkness right now. And God's going to open up significant doors for you in your community. And don't be afraid because the Lord says, I am with you. I, I, I'm, I'm with you to the end of the age, as our scripture says. I'm the Alpha and Omega, beginning and the end. I started the work in you. I'm going to finish the work. So you don't have to fear, but you're going to go into a powerful word of your testimony. And that's what's going to convict people and, and say, we don't have that kind of testimony in our community. And God's going to use you to evangelize your own community. Also, I see Bibles flooding in, too. I think you're, I, I think you're going to be with a group that are going to smuggle Bibles in. Yeah, and, and not to worry, I will hide them. God, I will secretly hide them. You don't have to be afraid. And, and because the Lord is with you, and He is your shield, He's your strong power, He's going to watch over you. And, and yet, He's so proud of you. Thank <laughs> you. 
So I thought, well, Leslie had this thought to reach out to Raphael, and she just followed through with what God did, and her, his life has been transformed. And you know how you know what started Leslie's uh, walk with God is she was walking into Walmart, and someone approached her and engaged her in spiritual conversation, and that was the start of her life being radically saved and now keeping on fire and so it doesn't always have to be a wham bam. It doesn't have to be close to deal. It doesn't have to be a falling down the wall in the park lot with the power of the Holy Spirit. It's little seeds. Right. And uh, boom. Awesome. Amen. I did not go ahead. I did not go to release the children. I wanted the children to hear this testimony. Because this testimony is like this. that can transform a little child into an evangelist, an apostle, a prophet. You know, so the children are released, and uh, we're going to get into the Word of God. And here's another thing that always amazes me about flowing with the Holy Spirit is I'm going to teach a message today that came to me this week that I'm calling it How Not to Drown. How Not to Drown. And we're, looking, we're going to look at rivers today that people are drowning in. Some of you may be here today. Some of you online, our online community, are drowning. And as I'm listening to his testimony, I'm thinking, he was drowning. And Jesus saved him. Amen. It was just a beautiful Holy Spirit-led setup for what we're going to be talking about today. And as I was meditating my message, when I had it all done, I was looking at it yesterday, I realized... I can't rush through this. So we're going to spend the next couple of Sundays on this, next couple of weeks, because this is too important. There are too many people right now in the world drowning. Some of you have fallen into a river of death, a river of loneliness, a river of suffering, a river of of unforgiveness, a river of relational uh, pain and offense, rivers of addiction. There are all sorts of rivers that have been created over the last couple of years that people have fallen into. And here's the truth. I heard this quote, and it's what the Holy Spirit ignited in my heart when I heard this quote. You don't drown by falling into a river. You drown by staying submerged in it. The last couple of years have produced many bad rivers. Rivers of hate. Deep anger. Emotional, mental, spiritual pain. Deep division. Isolation, which has led to deep loneliness in people's lives. I know I'm talking to somebody today, especially on that point right there. And this has led to self-harm, abuse, violence, and a lot of disillusionment. And what happens when you become disillusioned, you feel like you are hopeless. You've been in this situation, you've gotten counseling, you've tried to fast, you've tried to pray, you've tried everything you can, and you can't get out of this river, and you are drowning, and you feel hopeless. It's one of two things will happen. One, you just fall into a deep depression, or the other is you find yourself uh, unhealthily expression, expressing things, your anger, you're acting out in a way that is destructive to you and those around you. Anybody ever felt that way before? Anybody... Uh, Behaved that way before. Yes. Okay. Those online, you're raising your hand because nobody can see you, so you feel safe to do it. Everybody here is lying right now. So, you're already ahead of the game. And especially, it's not just this last couple of years that produced these deep rivers, but it's since the day you were born. I mean, we you know, what's the first thing you get when you enter life? A spanking. <laughs> Welcome to life. Bam. Right? And that's how you start. Life on this side of heaven is just tough. 
saints staying submerged in these rivers will cause you to drown. And it will stop you from becoming who God created you to be and to do what God has created you to do. That is Satan's agenda. To make sure that life's trials and tragedies hit you so hard that you will stop becoming who God created you to be and doing what God has created you to do. That's his agenda. I remember one time somebody said to me after they'd seen all the trials I'd gone through, man, you must really love God not to have quit. I said, well, it's half and half. I really love God and I really hate Satan. And he is not going to use my life to mock God and say, see, see, John, see, you weren't faithful to him. You weren't strong enough to be able to deliver him and keep him going. I'm not going to let Satan use my life as evidence that God's not good. Come on, somebody, somebody. It pains me deeply to see some fantastic people that I know drowning. And so I want to spend the next couple of weeks trying to help you out of the river. There's three things I want us to look at that you must do to get out of the river. And then we're going to start looking at some rivers. We may get to a river today. Um, but if we don't, that's okay. Because we're not going to rush through this process. Because some of you need to get up out of the river so that you can start living again. Number one, you must decide to get out of the river. Now, you might say, well, it's just not that easy. I know. But it starts there. Okay, look. Let's say Ben's drowning, and he's right there. And I'm right here. Now, don't grab my hand, because you'll ruin the illustration. All right? All right. I'm reaching out my hand, and I have what he needs to get out of the river. And here I am. And Ben, fold your arms in a non-receptive posture, and you will drown. All you have to do is decide, I'm getting out. There you go. Boom. All right? But Ben has, had to decide that he was going to stop sulking, soaking, souring, and sinking. Nobody can stop you from drowning if you don't first decide that you are going to stop drowning. I've got to get out of my situation. The worst thing you can say to somebody who's drowning is, oh, you know, just get over it or just get out. Somebody who's battling depression, somebody who's really in a mental, emotional, spiritual um, uh, place uh, where they're stuck. You can't just say, I'll just snap out of it. It's one of the worst things you can say to somebody. However, the person that is drowning has to decide that you want out. Or we will have to sit here and just watch you drown. John chapter 5, here comes the Savior. If there's anybody who can lift somebody out of any river on this side of heaven, it is Jesus. Can I hear an amen? John chapter 5. Afterwards, Jesus returned to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish holidays. Inside the city, holy days, inside the city, near the sheep gate, was the pool of Bethesda with five covered porches. Crowds. Everybody say crowds. This is our situation right now on planet Earth. Crowds of sick people, blind, lame, and paralyzed. Whether it's, whether it's mental uh, sickness, emotional sickness, relational sickness, actual sickness. It's just literally plaguing the planet right now. We have crowds of people who are blind, emotionally, spiritually, financially, relationally, lame and paralyzed, laying on porches everywhere. One of the men lying there had been sick for 38 years. I 
I want to say to you this morning, I don't care how long it's been, how difficult it is, how deep it is, it is not too deep, not too difficult, not too far gone for Jesus. And this is not hyper-preaching, this is gospel. Just ask Rahil. You may have been in your situation for a month, and it seems like an eternity, or six months, or a year, or 38 years, does not matter. With Jesus, there is always hope. When Jesus saw him and knew he had been ill for a long time, Jesus said, oh, dude, see, if you'd been in this condition for like six months, I might be able to do something about it for you, but 38 years, I mean, come on. I mean, if something could be done, it would have been done by now. For Jesus, it doesn't matter if it's a minute or, uh, or 90 years. He can change it like that. I was telling the pre-service prayer group, I was sitting in my bedroom chair a number of years ago, so hopefully, so hopeless, because I just... I could not get rid of this condition my heart was in. I'd counseled with my friends, I had prayed, I'd fasted, I'd read the word, but I just could not change myself. Anybody ever been there before? Okay, all right, now we have three people telling the truth. Four, any other truth tellers? Five, six, seven, eight, nine, okay, and the rest are still lying. Oh, 10, 11, 12, okay. I'm sitting there in my chair in my bedroom, and I just said, Holy Spirit, help me and I literally felt a wind I felt it and it was gone (laughs) it was amazing it was super natural nobody had to lay hands on me and push me down and put oil on me and oh that's great not pushing you down but falling down like i had to hold her hill up here he started falling back i was like holding him up because this is tile floor and then we have to have a healing service but it was gone what did jesus say now this is crazy jesus saw him and knew he had been ill for a long time everybody say a long time when you've been sick for a long time or in a situation for a long time it becomes your identity Well, this is just the way it has been a long time. This is just the way it's going to be for a long time. And you just give up. You throw in the towel. You cast off restraint. So often when you have been in a situation that seems unchangeable for so long, you agree with it. You make friends with it. You, 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 you just resolve that this is the way it is and it's the way it's always going to be. That's why Jesus asked him this question that you have to ask yourself. Was Jesus really the sharpest knife in the drawer? I'm sorry to say that. I don't mean to be disrespectful, but this question is like, what? What's he ask him? Would you like to get well? You would think the answer is obvious, but I'm going to tell you something. There are some people who just don't want to get well. For whatever reason, maybe it's you like the attention. Self-pity is a reward. It's a sorry reward. I mean, to trade in your destiny, your divine assignment, your creative makeup, being able to make a difference in other people's lives, to live life fully and powerfully trade that in for poor me it is a horrible trade self-pity is not your friend it's kind of like this lady i don't know it's a true story i mean you saw it may have seen it in the news a while back where she went down to tijuana i think she found this little lost puppy and she, it was all mangy and dirty, and she brought it home, and she cleaned it all up and became her sweetheart. And uh, slept, slept in bed, you know, with the dog, you know, and kind of like we have a little uh, special needs 
rescue dog that has pretty much taken my place in the marriage. Um, and uh, she sleeps in between us. And, uh, you know, one night I might accidentally roll over. And uh, so oh, I don't know what happened to her. Anyway, um, well, this, this lady, you know, became like her bestie, right? And then, and then the puppy got sick and she took it into the vet. And the vet said, this is not a dog. This is a rat. You remember that? <laughs> it was just a big rat, man. Some of you are sleeping with a rat. You think it's a pet and it's a rat. Some don't want to get well because this means that you would have to take responsibility for your present situation and stop blaming others. Uh, I have a friend, and I don't say this judgmentally, I say it because um, it's true. And, it, and, it, and, it, and I have deep compassion on my friend, but everything in his life is everybody else's fault. Always. Always. The government my employer, my former employer, my landlord, who whatever the situation that my friend is in, it's always somebody else's fault. And we were talking recently, and I, I wasn't even giving my opinion because I knew that whatever I said would just go, just like chaff in the wind. It wouldn't make any difference because until you take personal responsibility for your present condition, no matter how you got there, you're not going to get out. You are the one that has the power within you to decide, I am not staying here. Also, you have to take responsibility for living life. Not just getting out from where you are, but actually moving forward. And this guy, I mean, think about it. 38 years, he's lame. That means he's going to have to get a job. And he has no skills. He has no friends. He has no connection. He has no credit. Some of you through COVID have gotten sedated. It's so much easier just to sit on the couch, just get a check from the government and just do nothing. It's devastating to a people to just be given handouts. It completely robs you of initiative and makes you completely dependent on the source that is handing you stuff. That's why at, our, at a certain age, our kids are on their own. And it's hard to watch them struggle. As I said to one of my children just recently, it would be unhealthy for you, for me, to carry you. That's not good for you. I want to help, but I can only help so much because you have to develop your own muscles in life. I talk to so many counselors and others that just say parents will not allow their children to suffer. They will not allow them to experience hardship. There's a Jewish rabbi who wrote a book called The Blessing of a Skinned Knee. It's kind of like how Miss Brenda gets upset with me because I let my, my sons do dangerous things. And she says, they could break an arm. And I'm like, and? That'd be a cool, they'd have a cool story. Right? It's like every kid wants a broken arm, wants a skinned knee, wants a cool story, Right? Now, Ms. Brenda probably would like to have an opportunity to come up here and clarify how pretending like I'm going to run my children over with a car as they come down the driveway is probably not good. I still think it's fun. But anyway, and so do they. But that might end not well. Okay, so she will break my arm. That's right. And then I will have a story. Some of you during COVID have gotten lethargic distracted by getting involved in other things and have knocked you off of your divine pattern, your divine cycle of what God had called you to, and now you've got other things going on in your life, and now you have to somehow unravel that and get back into what God has called you to do. 
And some of you have just become cynical and negative, and you've just got to decide, I have got to get up, and I've got to get my life back on track. There was one uh, gal who wasn't coming to church. Her husband was coming, but she wasn't coming, and she wasn't bringing the kids. And so I made that risky phone call. Hi. Oh, hello, Pastor John. We both know what this is about, right? I didn't say that, but we both knew what the phone call was about. Hey, how are you doing? Haven't seen you at church, you know, since, you know, COVID has lifted. Oh, yeah, well, you know, I, I kind of, you know, I've been getting, I've gotten comfortable and, you know, I can see it online now. Sorry if you're watching online right now, this is about you. Okay, so I've gotten comfortable. I can just do it online. And this is what I said to her, and this is what I'm going to say to you. It's not good for you to do that because Jesus has developed the church to be a body we are a community. The Bible says, do not forsake the assembling of yourself together as the habit of some is. So it's all, unless you're smarter than Jesus, it's not good that you be isolated and just watch online. You must come together and be part of the body. And I also said, and it's not good for us, for you not to be here because it diminishes the church. We need you and you need us. Thirdly, I said, and it is a horrible example to set for your children. Thank God she was humble because she was here the next Sunday. She's back. She's serving. She's a part of us again. But you could have run into pride. Tell me what to do. You see, you can only help somebody if they want to be helped. Can I hear it? Amen. Amen. All right. Now, they're clapping because they're here. Are you clapping? That's the question. All right, here we go. Then there are those, okay, there are some who don't want to be healed because you like where you're at. Man, I could sit on that one for just a little bit longer. You just like feeling sorry for yourself and staying there and soaking and and abdicating responsibility to actually get up and uh, get your life going on. But then there are some who truly believe that they can't. Listen to the guy's answer to Jesus. I can't, sir, the sick man said. For I have no one to put me into the... Here we go. Not my fault. I have no one to put me into the pool when the water bubbles up. Someone always gets there ahead of me. Now... This is true. Many times, this is true. Therefore, number two is you must depend on others to help you out. First, you must decide. Because no matter how much I reach out my hand to Ben, unless he decides, my hand is worthless to him. But if you will decide, I got to get out of this situation, the next thing you need to realize is you need to depend on others to help you out. Jesus did not design human beings to be able to be successful on their own, period. Pride will cause you to live a very tiny life because all you have is what you have. Humility makes your life limitless because humility says, I can only, I only know so much, I can only do so much, I only have so much. But if I make Mark my friend, well... Now I've got as much money as I need for the rest of my life. I mean, I'm just going to like, yeah, saddle up next to Pastor Mark. And if I hang out with Ben, hey, my social profile goes way up because he is a good looking dude, right? I mean, he's got the looks. Mark's got the money. And then I married Hope. So everybody believes I'm anointed because you can always tell somebody who's anointed because they marry way over their head. I've seen it so, I've seen it so often. People will meet me and it's like, oh, okay. Then they meet Hope and then they look back at me. And they're like, <laughs> and then she starts talking and they realize how sharp she is. Then they start feeling sorry for her. It's like, wow, if you just waited, you probably could have done better. I've learned that the more people that you allow into your life, the more resources you have at your disposal wisdom counsel re, uh, uh, m- uh, money when you need help and your friends there 
encouragement, skill. It is so great when you are an adult and you've made a bunch of friends and they all have skills. You can invite, you know, an electronic engineer over your house so he can fix your, uh, your, your, your water uh, sprinkler system. Thank you, Rick. I really appreciate that. He first came to the church and I don't know, he was here for about a week and I had him up in my house working for him. No, I'm, <laughs> no I asked him for some help. And Rick came up and uh, we, we started be, becoming friends right then. But uh, he says, I can't, sir. So the sick man said, for I have no one to put me into the pool when the water bubbles up. Someone else always gets there ahead of me. Jesus told him, stand up, pick up your mat and walk. Instantly, the man was healed. He rolled up his sleeping mat and began walking. In life, there are three stages of life, and it's really critical that we all understand these three stages. The first one is dependency, and that is where, as an infant, of course, you're completely dependent on your parents to not completely screw you up. And I remember when Hope and I had our first child, we came home from the hospital, we stopped in the driveway, turned the key key off, and there was a sign on the garage door from some wonderful people from the church saying, congratulations. But then we both looked over our shoulder into the back seat, and there's Elliot with a pacifier in his mouth looking at us going, looking back and forth at us. And we both looked at each other, it was like, oh man, he's he's in trouble. (laughs) It's like... They didn't send us home like with a manual, what to do next, how to keep this kid alive. I mean, it was scary. Now that we have six, you know what it's like, right? The first one, the pacifier falls on the ground. And like, oh my gosh. So you throw it away and replay, go get a new one, right? By like a box. The second one, what do you do? You pick it up, blow it off, rinse it, you know, maybe sterilize it, put it back in their mouth. The third one, right? Yeah, you just lick it. There you go. Rub it on your shirt, stick it in. The fourth one, you're like, oh, whatever, they eat dirt anyway, right? And so it's... The first stage of life is dependence. The second stage of life, which we think is the pinnacle, which it is not, it's adolescence, and that is independence. Independence is where you come to the stage where it's like, I am somebody, I am my own person, I have something to offer the world. That's a teenager. Learning that you have your own thoughts, you have your own person, and you learn your skill set. You're becoming an adult. But we believe that that is the ultimate goal, is to be independent. No, it is not. Your life is still going to be really tiny. The stage you want to move into is interdependence. And that is, I have something to offer you, you have something to offer me. And now you have this interdependence. You think about the Olympics. You think about even individual sports. Individual sports are never an individual sport. You have coaches. You have trainers. You have psychologists, sports psychologists. Keep feeding me stuff. Help me. (laughs) You have nutritionists. You have doctors. You have fans. I mean, what if nobody's there even to watch you? It's like, what's the point? You know, you broke a world record, nobody saw it, right? And so interdependence is the ultimate goal in life. Look what this Bible says about this. It says, two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. I want to say this to the teenagers in here right now, middle school, high school. I know you're going to probably not like me after I say this. Listen to your parents. It is so hard. I know it's so hard because it's amazing how much they don't know. And it's amazing how much you do. It is amazing how much, like, all of a sudden, you know, you went through puberty and all of a sudden these hormones explode and the hormones are lying to you. They're like, you're the smartest person on the planet. And your parents don't know jack. They're old. They're from that other generation. I mean, they can't even find the camera on their phone and they always have their flashlight on, right? They're idiots. I remember thinking this. 
When I was a teenager, my dad was uber wealthy, the largest home developer in the state of Ohio, meeting with the mayor, meeting with the governor. This, I mean, he was a power broker. I thought, I thought he was an idiot. I didn't think he knew anything, right? I remember thinking this, like, my dad's out of touch. My dad doesn't know. And it's not until you grow up and, I don't know, it's like around 25, you, then you look at your parents like, wow, they've learned a lot in the last five years. How did they get so smart all of a sudden? Because life hits, and all of a sudden you realize, you know, a lot of the things that you thought you knew, you really didn't know. And so what I'm saying is right now, as difficult as it is living at home, and, and that, that, that teenage season is so hard because you want to be your own person, and you have thoughts and ideas. And listen, parents, I'm, I'm thinking I'm doing some family counseling right now. Parents, ask your kids what they think, because they've got some ideas you won't come up with. You have got to honor them tap into their creativity, their ingenuity. Give them an opportunity to make some decisions so they feel empowered. They're not children anymore. They're young adults. You know, in other cultures, at 12 or 13, the child be- goes into the family business. They start, the sons start going along with the dads and the, the daughters start with the the women, and if you don't have that situation, you can find mentors so that they start. I, whenever I'm doing a project around the house, I say, hey, Sam, Josiah, come on, let's go. I put the hammer in their hand. I put the power drill on Sam's hand yesterday. And as he's using it, and I'm going, oh, crud, I'm going to have to fix that, right? Just let them screw it up, right? Let them use the dang power drill. Let them swing that hammer and put a hole in the roof. You can fix it. It's going to be okay. But at least they feel like they're a part of something and not just being told to shut up and sit in the corner because mom and dad know everything. Can I hear an amen from the teenagers now? <laughs> Two people are better than one, for they can help each other succeed. They can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But if someone who falls, but someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Some of you are alone, and that's one of our rivers, so I'm not going to teach on this right now. But if you're alone, you're falling into loneliness, you're going to have to decide, you're going to have to decide, I've got to get out of this loneliness. This isolation for you teenagers over the last year has been horrendous. I feel so sorry for you, but you cannot feel sorry for yourself anymore. You've got to decide that you're going to break out of the mental, emotional stagnation, the fear of re-emerging, and take on your demons and win. This last year could cripple you for the rest of your life or it could make you the best person that you could possibly be for the rest of your life. Because the harder you struggle, the stronger you will be if you decide you're going to emerge. Let me tell you about these rivers. The people who go the deepest and they get delivered are the people who praise the highest. They are the ones who have the best testimonies, praise Jesus with a depth that nobody else can relate to. Because you've been through the fire and you came out. That's the testimony you want. Not, oh, my senior year got taken from me. Oh, you know, my friends don't like me anymore. Oh, I had these relationships, they're all gone. Or, oh, I lost my junior year. My freshman year got screwed up. You can't live there. That is a river, that's a cesspool, and you're just going to drown in it. Use it as an opportunity to get stronger and come out and say, nobody's going to dictate my destiny but Jesus, and he will lift you out of that river. And I'm going to end with this. We didn't even get into any rivers. We'll look at some rivers next week. After you decide, you're going to get out. And some of you are going to make that decision today. Secondly, you must depend on others to help you out. Your mom and dad actually know some stuff. Just be humble and let them help you. Your kids actually know stuff. Let them in and let them help you. Whoever it might be in your life, let him in. Let him back in. And thirdly, you must do for others what has been done for you. Freely you have received, freely give. If you will choose to do this today, I'm going to get out of this situation. I'm not staying here.
This is not going to be my life or my destiny. And I'm going to let others help me. I'm going to be humble and let others in and help me. Then you're going to get out of these rivers, and then you are then going to be the one reaching out the hand saying, out the hand saying, hey, I was drowning, and somebody helped me out, and now I'm going to help you out. Can I hear an amen? amen. And God is going to help you. There's a story in the Bible where Elijah was the most powerful man of God at the time called Fire Down from Heaven. Unbelievable story in the Bible. But then he let fear enter his heart. This is a prophetic word for someone here today. Elijah, you can be a powerful man or woman of God. It doesn't mean you're not susceptible to lust, fear, greed, anger, disillusionment, hate, racism, doesn't mean you're insusceptible. just means you're human. And so here is Elijah, powerful man of God, calls fire down from heaven, torches 450 prophets of Satan. They all die. Israel turns back to God. And then the next day, the queen, the wicked queen, says, I'm coming after you. And he allowed fear to enter his heart, the fear of your future not being what you hoped it would be, the fear that your marriage is not going to be fixed, fear, whatever your fear might be, your fear for success, fear of failure, whatever it might be. He allowed fear of death to enter his heart. And he ran two days out into the desert, got so depressed that he said to God, please kill me. I want to die. Some of you are there today. Some of you are so discouraged, so depressed, so lonely, so lost, so hopeless, you would rather die. Elijah said, please, God, let me die. And God did the most tender thing. He'll do the same for you. First thing he did was fed him had a meal and then he said take a nap we slept for a while and then he fed him again he's had to do this to me before he fed him a second time and he said okay let's go and he went 40 days and 40 nights on the strength of that one meal it was just angel food angel bread and water went to the mountain of god went and met with god and god just whispered to him and that whisper, like he did with me when I was in my bedroom. Whew, whisper. What did he say? He said, what are you doing here? Come on, let's go. And Elijah was like, oh, no, because, you know, I'm the only one left. And God said, stop, 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 stop that. I've got 7,000 other believers who have not bowed the knee to Satan. Come on, quit feeling sorry for yourself and let's go. And then he gave him an assignment. I want you to anoint this person. I want you to anoint this person. I want you to anoint this person. Let's go. And he got him back on track. God's going to get you back on track. But you've got to decide that you want to get back on track. Let's all stand. You just close your eyes for a moment. If this message was for you today, will you just slip your hand up and say, this was for me. You're one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. Anybody else? This message was your 12. Anybody else? This message is 13, 14. Hands are going up online, 16. This message is for you? Okay. It begins with you. Jesus says to you this morning, do you want to be made well? You got to decide that feeling sorry for yourself, blaming others is over. Kick the rat out of the bed. So it didn't turn out the way you wanted, the way you hoped. So what? Don't be a victim. Be a victor. So tell the Lord right now, yes, Lord, 
I want to be healed. Some of you think you can't be healed. It is not fixable. Fix your eyes on Jesus right now. Nothing is too difficult for Jesus. And just ask him, say, Jesus, I need you to heal me. I need you to fix me. I need you to help me. Okay, now with your eyes closed, I want you to ask the Lord, who is in my life that you have sent to help me? Just close your eyes and allow him to bring people up into your mind that he has put in your life that can help you. Just just see what see who comes up. Now I'm going to ask that you humble yourself and ask today ask that person for help. Right before Jerry leads us in a song, you can keep your eyes closed. I was in a church meeting once, and they had speaker after speaker after speaker, and they were powerful speakers, but nothing like this last lady that came up. She quietly walked up, and she just began to speak, and it just, the power of God hit the place. The difference was, she had walked through brokenness. She had walked through deep pain and suffering. And Jesus had lifted her out. And the soft-spoken woman devastated the place with the presence of God when everybody else was just doing their best preaching they could do. You are going to be a change agent. Jesus is going to use you to bring healing to others because of what you have been through and how he rescued you. Some of you have never given your life to Jesus today, and today's your day. You are in the river of spiritual lostness, is what Jesus calls it. You are lost. And Jesus is the only one that can help you come back to God. If that's you today and you are spiritually lost, you've never come to Jesus, you don't know if you'd go to heaven if you would die, I want you to pray this prayer with me right now. Just pray it out loud off your lips. Just say, Dear Jesus, I've never given my life to you before, but I'm giving it to you now. Just say, I receive you, Jesus as my Savior. Forgive me for my sins. Fill me with your Spirit. And I now dedicate my life to you. Amen. Jerry, you lead us in worship. Olivia, will you come on back up here and lead us in a song of worship as we close today? I'm going to ask the prayer teams to come on up front. If this message was for you and you want uh, help, a greater depth of freedom, maybe a baptism of the Holy Spirit, the power of God to come on you, maybe there's somebody you haven't forgiven and you need to get them out of your heart. Maybe the rat's not in bed. Maybe the rat's living inside of your heart and you need to open that cage and let him out. Maybe you've been dealing with the rivers of depression, which we didn't get to, or isolation, or loneliness, or fear, or the rivers of religion, where you feel like you have to earn the presence of God. You need to come up and let these folks pray for you so you can get some freedom. But let's watch Jesus set us free. So let's worship, and we'll be out. There is a river of strength.
river. this up just a little bit. Will, we need you on the drums. We're going to pick this up a little bit, and we're going to rejoice. We're going to do the song a little faster, and we're going to elevate